Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Ben Longwell, coming to you from New Zealand by way of the States. Now, Ben and his wife, Natalie, run True West Horsemanship. And in this episode, you will hear the unbelievable hurdles that were placed in Ben and Natalie's lap as they transitioned from the United States to New Zealand, starting a new family, starting a new business, and a new life in a completely different country. There is so much rich content in this episode, and I have the utmost respect for Ben and Natalie's journey. I hope you do find equal value in the content and encourage you to visit truewesthorsemanship.com or find Ben on the various social media platforms under True West Horsemanship to follow more of what they have going in their teaching and clinic schedule, as well as an incredible subscription-based video library. And as always, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice mean the world to us. You can find us both on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Ben Longwell of True West Horsemanship. New Zealand, man. It is, uh, we're starting to get the crack of spring out here in California. Uh, but how about New Zealand? What do you got over there for weather? What season? You guys headed towards fall now? Yeah, we are just, just sort of starting towards fall. And it's kind of been a funny summer. It's It's uh, been a little bit wet and then a little bit cold and then a few warm days here and there. It's just been kind of, kind of a little bit odd. Uh, it was warmer up in the North Island when we were there through January and half of February. And now I'm back down in the Southern, Southern end of the South Island. And it's, it's kind of been kind of wet and cold this week. So yeah, we're headed towards fall and, and, uh, things will start, the days are shortening up, you know, and yeah, and, yeah. yeah we're just, just literally right opposite you guys. So that's awesome. That's awesome. It's interesting. I have a, I have a cousin out in New Zealand right now and, uh, here we are all bundled up in the heart of winter and she's posting all these videos running down the beach. And then, yeah, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> when we get to, we get to crack out the shorts and tank tops, she's all bundled up for, for winter. So yep. I find it, I find it very yep. fascinating. And, uh, it is what we'll definitely is. get into is, is just the, the universal language of the horse. You know, here we, here we poke fun. We're literally on opposite sides of the world. Uh, but there's many common threads between our, our goals and our purpose and, and what we do with horses. And, I can't thank you enough for setting some time aside and, and coming on here to Left Freedom Rain podcast and kind of explaining more of True West horsemanship and and your story and your journey throughout horses. Uh, well, it's it's an honor. It's a real honor, Jason. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'll tell you. Let's uh let's get right into it. Let's explain a little bit of your history because uh, New Zealand has not always been home for you. It's been kind of a journey to get there. But let's start with kind of some of your early experiences growing up here in the states in Colorado and and how the horse kind of shaped some early opinions and views of, of life for you. And we'll see where the conversation goes from there. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. I, I grew up in Colorado, Western Colorado. My family, both sides of my family go back to the pioneer days, uh, on the Western slope of the Rockies there. And I guess, uh, I was, I was always involved with livestock and horses from a pretty young age. And I guess I was always looking for a way to try to get along with them as best I could. I had had lots of good instruction from my dad and my grandpa and, and the way that we did things. 
And, um, but, but I was, I was sort of without thinking about it, I guess I wanted, I wanted animals to get along or cooperate with us the best they could. And, and it just seemed to me that, you know, it'd set you up for better success yeah. the next time you worked with them. And so I guess it was kind of in me from a young age, but I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at all, you know, or hadn't really probably thought it through or anything like that. And so I just remember growing up and I was, as I, the more I rode, the more I liked to ride and the more I, uh, had a job to do and I could get out horseback and, and go do something. Uh, the, the more I enjoyed that, the more I learned from the horses and, and it was just a, it was a feeling of purpose that I could share with that horse and, and we could go out and do a job. And it was, it was just something that I really, really enjoyed and felt like I wanted to, wanted to, that's what I wanted to do, you know? And so I, I guess I started my first horse when I was about 16. Uh, and I, it was mostly trial and error, probably mostly error. And, uh, just, you know, just yes, trying sir. to figure things out. And, uh, I had had a little bit of instruction from a horse, a local horse breeder, uh, that I'd done some work with. And, and she, you know, she just talked me through some things and gave me some ideas. And, and, uh, I, I just, you know, I just made it up as I went along and, and man, there was a few wrecks and, and uh, looking back, you know, you can always sort of see those things that were, were inevitable yeah, <laughs> the, way, yeah. the way it was going. Absolutely. But um, it, it just started me off on that journey really towards not just not just ranching or cowboying, but but the horsemanship and and what went into that. And, and so I got I got pretty hungry about that stuff and I didn't know where that was going to take me or, or have any idea at that time uh, the extent that I was going to go down that track. But I was pretty keen pretty keen to learn that. And, um, it, it was, it was definitely a pivotal point in my life there. It's interesting to hear you introduce, uh, your father and grandfather's influence and this idea of getting along with the horse. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side played a huge role in my journey with horses and interest in it, you know, early on. Uh, but he was right. definitely of the old school mindset where, you know, you sack them out and you kick the guts out of them and, you tie him down and literally uh, suck the life right out of some of these horses, right? Just to get compliance. And it's been interesting right. because, and I kind of explained it in, in episode 100. Yeah. You know, he thought a lot of this horsemanship, horsemanship stuff was just funny, right? Trying to get along with a horse and develop a relationship and develop trust. And, you know, even in, at his age, starting to see horsemanship work uh, raised a different level of interest in him. So for you to have that experience from an older generation, you know, getting passed on to you and and virtually start you off on the right foot. I mean, you're light years ahead of most folks, even though the, the cold starting was more air than trial, as you explained. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was funny because they, they didn't all, you know, they were, their perspective wasn't all that as far as, you know, trying to get along with them. Yeah. I, they, they, they did have their, especially my grandpa had his, his ways of, uh, you know, trying to make stuff happen with, with animals. And, um, and I, I actually, you know, in the last, you know, 10, 20 years have had some similar experiences as you did with your, with your grandfather where, um, yeah, he had been watching something on RFD TV and was, um, initially was a bit skeptical. And then I don't know, a year or two later, we were talking about some stuff and he was, he had just come around in his way of thinking quite a lot, you know, yeah, yeah. um, from a bit more of the old school ways to, to just kind of thinking about these things and thinking about, um, how things could have been done a little bit differently back in his day. But, uh, 
Yeah, it, it was an interesting balance. I, they were definitely old school, but they had some they had some good philosophies there. And and I guess, like I say, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it, but I was mm-hmm. just in the back of my mind, always sort of, I guess, looking for those sorts of opportunities to get a, get an animal to think, you know, and yeah, respond. Absolutely, it's a that's the attraction for me is that you you never, in my opinion, right, you never have this horsemanship thing figured out. There's so many variables between the human and horse relationship. Uh, There's constantly studies being done. I mean, now with the advances in science and understanding cognitive processing and all sorts of um, neural mapping and things of that sort, there's always Uh science redefining kind of our approaches or either either confirming that, yes, we're on the right path or, hey, maybe we should revisit this topic and and try things a different way. So it's exciting. For me, it's exciting, right, to always have that educational pursuit. But what I think is is even more powerful is how these older generations, I mean, some of these guys are seeing that it's for real, right, that it does work. And uh, it's even to the point where it's piquing interest in them. Despite, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of, of riding and working with horses in a, in a certain manner. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Good stuff. So let's work on through, uh, I know you did a bunch of day work and, and when for you, uh, did the journey start that, you know, Hey, I'm going to kind of maybe step out on my own and, and be my own boss. Yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting journey for the, for a number of years, sort of through my late teens and early twenties. I did do quite a bit of day work for different ranches around Northwest Colorado, and I ended up doing a stint uh, at Eagle View Quarter Horses near Grand Junction, Colorado. And that was probably a real turning point for me because it it was the first time that I'd gained a real uh, concentrated amount of teaching and coaching and and instruction around horsemanship and and cult starting and those sorts of things. And, And definitely a pivotal point in my life where it was like, um, I I realized how much more there was to it, you know? And so from that point, I, I, uh, I started taking on a few horses of my own and, and I bought it. I bought a youngster to start and sell and got, got set up back in my hometown to, to do a bit of that. And I was riding some, some different horses for people, kept on doing some day work and such for a couple of years. But by the time I met, met my wife, or my wife to be, I was, um, I had been approached by a local horseman there and he, he had seen, he had come to see that youngster that I had started and, and, uh, kind of liked what I'd done with him and, and asked if I wanted to start youngsters for him and, and I'd do the starting and he'd, he'd sort of put the finishing touches on him mm-hmm. and, uh, he, he had the local contacts. And so it was kind of a pretty sweet deal. Um, he arranged the people and, and dealt with, all of that side of things and picked the pins and fed the hay. And I mean, literally all I had to do was come in and, and start Colts, you know? Wow. And so I was doing that when I met Natalie and, and, and that was a real cool opportunity to, uh, to get in on at that point. What a huge step early on in your journey, right? in pursuing this professionally to, to develop a skill set around so many different personalities and horses and types and things of that sort. Cause I think that's where, the common person, and I know it's been a struggle in my journey, is that you're only exposed to so many horses, and it's that's right. Very few people, right, get to see hundreds or thousands of head of horses in their life. Where, you know, folks like yourself that spend so much time starting court colts, or spent a concentrated amount of time starting a bunch of horses, right? You really start to diversify your skill set and, and and open things that's up right. as far as your spectrum of starting horses. 
That's right. You, you The more horses you're around, the more you learn the language and the broader your applications become because if you're open to it, you're learning something new from each one of them mm-hmm. and a little bit different ways of doing things or approaching things that uh, just broaden that application right out to a huge range of of, of variants there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I was really blessed to be able to get, get around quite a lot of horses from kind of from the start. And, uh, you know, those guys gave me a shot, you know, they, they, they gave me an opportunity there that, um, like you say, not everybody gets and not everybody has, has those opportunities. And, and they gave me a shot when, when really I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know enough to, to be yeah. deserving of yeah. that. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it's, uh, it, it's a, it is a blessing. Absolutely. And, and that, that's, that's what I was doing when, when we got married and that was, that was 2000, 2007, we met. And then 2008, um, May, we got married and we lived there in, in my hometown for about a year doing that. And then we, we were looking for a change and we ended up going up to Wyoming. We got both hired on to a big ranch, uh, near the big horns in, in the big horns, really. Uh, in north central Wyoming and we were there for a couple of years and that was a really cool opportunity it was the first big outfit I'd worked for and and uh, it was we we started to do a few little clinics up there and and teaching people and uh, started youngsters up there as well as 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 cowboying and so it was that was sort of the first opportunity I had to start to articulate to people um, what was going on with the horse and, and the concepts of horsemanship and help and help people begin to understand horses mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. as well which mm-hmm. which as you know is is a completely different thing than than just working with the horses so that that was a really neat opportunity and it's true it takes a lot to it takes a lot as an instructor or a trainer or a clinician whatever title you want to give it right it takes a lot to be able to articulate you know, your feel because a lot of the horse side of stuff, right, is feeling, right? Articulate your feelings, articulate the emotional responses of the horse because as a student, right, they're coming from different levels of experience and they might not necessarily have the awareness to see what you're seeing. So to be able to articulate that well enough to convey the message to the human being obviously opens up a huge realm of opportunity. But I mean that in and of itself is a is a pretty special skill to have. It's yeah, and it's not easy, is it? No. You know, like you say, people come from different backgrounds and different experiences. Some of them are nervous, some of them are overconfident, some of them, you know, have these preconceived notions of what the horse is thinking or doing that is almost impossible for a horse to think or do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just you go through all that whole gamut of things and and uh it's just like the horses, I guess. You you can learn something from just about everybody that uh, about how to communicate with humans better as well. And so, yeah, we, we, we worked up there for a couple of years in Wyoming. And, and so in addition to being a working cattle ranch, we took on, took on guests to work with us and to experience the life in, in on, on the ranch and working with cattle and stuff. And so it was, it was definitely a, a, always a balance of dealing with people and keeping them safe and instructing them in, in the horsemanship and the stockmanship, as well as trying to get the job done, you know? And so it, it was actually, it was a real good training ground for, for what I'm doing now, you know, in, in trying to communicate both to horses and people. You're definitely taking on a lot, depending on the level of experience of these, some of these guests, right? Being out riding, riding horses in open country, it's uncontrolled. And now you got cattle involved and that raises a whole new, 
whole new level of panic in some circumstances. So uh, for you guys <laughs> to see that venture through, right? Uh, my hat's off to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. It was yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, long about then, it would have been oh, late 2010. We sort of it was it was kind of interesting. We had it's kind of a long story. I don't you know, but we had sort of decided we were going to stay there for quite a while. We'd bought a little piece of ground there in, uh, in the little town. There was, it was a town of 50 at the foot of the Bighorn Mountains, and uh, we just loved it up there. And so we bought a little little section in town, and we were going to build a house and probably start our family there. And, uh, long story short, a number of circumstances happened when within about a week, we had decided that we were um, – we were going to move to New Zealand and uh, <laughs> well, change was going to take place. <laughs> yeah. So, so Natalie, Natalie is originally from New Zealand and she had immigrated to the States when we got married. And so that's kind of how the connection happened. And, and I had been laid off and they had kept her job on hoping that we'd sort of stick around through the winter and they could hire me back on in the spring. And, mm-hmm. And we, we just sort of thought, you know what, we'd always wanted to do kind of do our own thing, see if we could strike off and, and, uh, start our own business. And of course, you know, late November, nobody's, nobody's hiring, nobody's looking at, you know, sending horses away to be started or anything in the middle of winter most of the time. And I didn't have anywhere to set that sort of deal up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, And so Natalie's dad is, is a real good networker. And, and, um, I had, we had gotten married in New Zealand and I had started a couple of Arabian horses for the president of the endurance racing club here oh, wow. uh, in 2008. And while we were down here to get married, I, I started these horses for him. And anyway, he had said at the time that I could make a living doing that sort of thing here. And it had kind of gone in one ear and out the other because yeah, yeah. I, we were, we were planning on living in the States and Natalie had, you know, had already, you know, kind of come around to, to that in her mind that she was going to, she was going to live in the, in the United States from, from then on. And, and so it, it had never crossed our mind until that point. And, and once it, once we started thinking about it within about two days, her dad had work lined up for us. He just oh, has geez. a knack for, for networking. And, and so he had contacted people that he knew that had horses or knew people that had horses. And, and yeah, within about <laughs> 48 hours, he had some work lined up for me and, and, uh, we thought, okay, well, let's just let's just try this. It was it was it was a real, a real crazy week because we turned in her her notice because uh, you know they'd laid me off, but but they'd kept her on. So we turned mm-hmm. in her notice and said, well, we're gonna we're gonna clear out of here. And then we found out that we were uh, expecting our first. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, and, uh, does life have plans? <laughs> yeah. So we had we had a little bit of savings. <laughs> We had a little bit of savings to, to go on and, and uh, we thought, okay, well, we'll be all right and we'll be able to make it, make it to New Zealand and get started and sort of see what, see what happens. Where we're and at, yeah. it was the most ironic thing. We had a friend, a good friend of mine that I'd grown up with who was going to immigrate to New Zealand right about that time. She, she had been planning separately to do this for a couple of months and she was short of the funds that she needed in her bank account. Uh, to get her visa to prove that she was just coming over on the working holiday visa. She wasn't a permanent immigrant, mm-hmm. but she was going to, you know, it's required to have those funds. And so we, we actually really felt led to give her that money. Yeah. And so we did. Wow. And so within a week, 
within a week, we are both going to be out of a job. We're expecting our firstborn. We're and you, you gave know, all your money away. <laughs> and we gave all our money away. Yep. That sounds like a great Pretty plan. Much. <laughs> yeah, it was. It really, it really, really was. Because when you go out on a limb, yes, you know, you know, things, things have to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, God was so faithful. It was, it was amazing. We, we did, we ended up down in, down in New Zealand by the start of February, 2011, we hit the ground running. We were very blessed with friends that lent us some land to work on. We built a little facility, bought a vehicle and, and we had sold that piece of property up in Wyoming within about three or four months of buying it. We had sold it for a profit. Oh, wow. That's um, good. you know, j- just had a couple, you know, a, a little, a few grand, you know, profit off of that. And mm-hmm. it wasn't worth much anyway, but, um, you know, just everything just fell into place and, and we hit the ground running here and it's just been from one thing to another, really. Um, we, we had a few horses in to start and then along about May or June, I started doing a couple of local clinics. I started with just a free demonstration there near Natalie's hometown and just to get people to come along and see what we were doing. And, and we've just kind of gone from there. We were, uh, Natalie noticed along about May or June of that year that the, the first national horse expo was going to be organized that year and uh, for the first time here in New Zealand. And they were looking for presenters and clinicians. And I always like to say she, she put my hand up. <laughs> because any volunteers because <laughs> i sure yeah yeah i sure never would have and and she thought that that was a pretty good opportunity and and that we should try to do that and so so we did and we were part of a cult starting demonstration down there um for that that first equidays mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. it was well outside my comfort zone i can tell you that yeah and that's i guess that's one thing that i've learned really all throughout my life is, is, you know, we, we don't grow in the comfort zone, you know, and growth and, and development and really opportunity is often outside of our comfort zone. I think when you talk about that and looking back in some of my life experiences, and I know, you know, I've talked, you have this concept, you know, the danger of comfort and and living in that comfortable realm. Yeah. I think the natural human response is to think about, everything that could go wrong when you put yourself out there. Yeah. And, and I challenge, and I've had to challenge myself, right? And I challenge people when, when they're making decisions like you're making, right? Where, Hey, uh, you got a kid on the way, you have no job and you gave all your money away and let's move to a different country. <laughs> let's, let's do that too. On top of everything. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's hard for folks to think about everything that could go right. And that's been a huge, huge, uh, limiting belief in, in my journey is that, uh, I haven't been as faithful as I probably should have been. And I haven't been as confident, as strong as I should have been. And I haven't put myself out there at a rate that I probably should have been, um, because I fight that conservative fight and I want to always kind of make sure there's somewhat of a safety net. And I'm not saying you'd be reckless and careless and give everything up, but, right, uh, right. but there comes a point where you got to kind of step out there and see what it's all about. And I think oftentimes yeah. a human being is more resilient and rises to the challenge in a smarter, more intelligent, more effective capacity than what we as individuals give ourselves credit for. Yeah, I think that's right. You don't know what you, what you can do until you actually have to, you know, yeah. and you're out there and, and, uh, 
you know, there, there's all different sorts of factors that can go in situations like that. But I think you're right. We sell ourselves short. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, in, in what we're what we're capable of or what we could do if we had time. And you think about life, you know, for pioneers 150, 200 years ago. And, and you know, was it an easy life? Well, no. But you look what they did. You know, look at the things that they accomplished and the, and the, the struggles and the, and the challenges that they faced and they went through. And, and and came out better for it, you know, at, at the end of the day, so many of them, you know, it's just, it, it is an amazing thing. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to kind of spend some time on this point and develop a little bit because I know, I mean, yes, being that Natalie's from New Zealand and her father lined up some work, right. It kind of eases the transition, but I mean, you're learning to be a father for the first time. You're learning to be a business owner for the first yeah. time. You're actually becoming a public figure, right? As far as getting out and teaching. I mean, those are those are huge challenges to take on individually. And life kind of threw them all in your lap all at one go. So if you don't mind, maybe kind of develop, you know, any number of those points that we talked about, whether it be business, family, uh, the immigration portion of things, and, and how you kind of triage the damage and work through it. <laughs> it, it was a really steep learning curve and for probably a year or two things it was it was it was tough going so with immigration even to a, a western country like new zealand um you still have a bit of culture shock you still have these things that you're getting used to and that are so different and you've got the paperwork to go through with the immigration and getting your residency and stuff. And Natalie's, Natalie's incredibly talented with it when it comes to administration and, and taking care of that sort of stuff. Um, really we are, we're a team and, mm-hmm. and we work really well together and, and I'm just incredibly blessed in that way. And so we had, yeah, we, we became parents in September. Um, the, the Equidays, expo was in i think november oh man um you know i had done a few i I had done a handful of clinics up to that point really um my public speaking skills were were still you know in their infancy and Mm -hmm. even my ability to really articulate and develop the concepts and and and, i mean let's face it you know Mm -hmm. even the experience with horses that i'd had at that point was was still to me, you know, pretty, pretty early on, you know, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And it was, and then in, in addition to that, my, my in-laws were pastors of a church there locally, and they ended up moving to another, well, down to the South Island, actually, to, mm-hmm. to help with a church down here. And we stepped into their place there locally in, in her home Holy church. Smokes. And so we became, we became, pastors of a church during that same year uh about june and so yeah you talk about a steep learning curve and the stuff going on it it was it was (laughs) i don't know i don't really have a word for it it was it was interesting it was challenging so what carried you through that dogfight you know and uh, was it was it a desire or a willingness to get to a point professionally? Uh, was it one of those things where, hey, it's time to show up or shut up, right? You got to do it to survive. What for you was kind of the inner drive to take on so much in such a concentrated time frame and find success? You know, Jason, um, 
I, I can honestly say that I didn't have a, I didn't have a solid vision of what I wanted to achieve per, uh, professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was still just, we were in almost an in- experimental stage when it came to the, the business and, and the horse side of things, what we were going to be able to do or, or accomplish. We were really in that first year, we, we, we wanted to have our son down here because the medical situation is a little more straightforward and we're going to sort of see how this horsemanship deal went and, and the business. And so we were sort of still thinking that we might only be down here for a year or two, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I guess for me, uh, I've, I've always had a real strong sense of, of right and wrong, I guess you could say. And, and I just took every day and tried to do what was right. That's kind of what it boils down to. And I, I, I can't say I always do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not certainly not perfect on that, but you know, I think, I guess for us, we, we, we felt that God had led us to these decisions and these points that, um, that had led us to this, what you could say, you know, on the outside might look like a, a a train wreck waiting to happen. Um, but, but I think if, if, if we're being led by God, then, then he has the grace to take us through that. And, and that's, that's the bottom line of it really. Every day I had horses to work with, and and as you know, horses have a way of sort of keeping you um, focused and in the present a little bit, and just taking one day at a time. And I think that's that's always been a significant help in these in these challenging times. But but to be led, um, you know, day by day, and just just trust trust in God because it's it's not it's not us that that's going to win this deal anyway. Absolutely correct, and, and being on the the outside looking in and, and hearing you describe all that you're taking on and change in those those couple of years, uh, I very much think to myself that that's definitely a set of circumstances where it's one foot in front of the other, right? And you just try to make yeah. the best decision that you can possibly make with what's right in front of you right now because a lot of people, and I can tell you from my experience being buried in life and being in some of those busier seasons uh, – Sometimes it's easier to put your head down and just work, 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 right? But there also yeah. has to be that life balance of clarity where you do have to look up. And I think when you start yeah. talking about faith, I think for me, God represents that clarity where in my younger years, I wanted to be in control of everything and I wanted to have a plan yeah. for a plan for a plan. And I knew where I was going and I knew what it took to get there. And I did everything that I could possibly do to reach that goal. Uh, and right. then as life happens, right, you have to make these quote unquote big boy decisions. Uh, they're tough. <laughs> they're tough. It ain't easy. Yeah. And, and relinquishing some of that control and preparation and planning uh, to God and having faith in him that he's going to put me in the correct position. Uh, it kind of makes your job easy. All I got to do is work hard. And that's something that's very familiar to most people in the Western industry, right? We're, we're very, yeah. very few people are short on work ethic, just given the nature of the, the lifestyle. So yeah. Um, That's right. It's, it's, for me, it's commendable. I know we talk about it, how it's just being simple, right? Just put one foot in front of the other. But what I think is most commendable is for you to do it with such longevity and and staying faithful and true to the process. And yeah, there's, there's times where we're going to waver, but you never quote unquote burnt out, if that makes sense. That's right. You're, You're absolutely right. It was, it was one foot in front of the other and it sounds simple, but there were months and there even years there that, that uh, we had our head down and I don't know if we came up for air sometimes, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, 
Yeah. It it was it was there were times when we would we'd step back and we'd say we've got to figure out how to have a, like you say a little better balance in life because you know we we had young kids and still have young kids and yeah. and um you know it 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 is you do risk burnout after a time and 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 yet there's that season especially in business and entrepreneurship where you've got to you've got to put your nose to the grindstone and you better hustle you better you better get some stuff happening you know and and so i think i think god's blessed us without any shadow of a doubt but we've also worked incredibly hard you know and and so yeah i it, yeah you can't separate the two sometimes it takes it takes both and I think that's where a misconception takes place a lot with people in their early journeys with faith as well as that they think, you know, hey, if, if I develop this relationship with Christ, Christ, life is going to be easy. And right. it's not that, right? It ain't a free ride. It ain't a ticket to the front no. of the line. Uh, things are going to get ugly and there's going to be work yeah. and there's going to be devastation and pain and heartache and all of that. But all of those experiences and all of those different realms, however you want to describe them, uh, it should circle back to a lesson in faith somehow. And I tell people faith is a very, very, very easy concept and it is horribly difficult to execute. None of us are as faithful as we should <laughs> or, or want to be, at least in my opinion of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah. So let's move on now. I want to talk a little bit about uh, one of your early challenges is this wild stallion challenge and the learning lessons that came from that as far as setting you up for your, your career. Absolutely. Um, so this was a few years into things. Uh, 2014, I was approached to be part of the first Kaimanawas Wild Stallion Challenge, and the Kaimanawas are the are the Mustangs of New Zealand. They're they're a wild uh, bunch of horses there in the Central North Island, and they do a good job managing them. They they bring them in uh, every other year or so, and 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 cull, cull the you know the ones out so there's not mm -hmm. too many on the on the ranges and. For the last probably 10 or 15 years, there's been a concentrated effort to really find homes for, for all of them so that they, uh, the extra ones didn't have to get sent to slaughter. And, and this was one of those initiatives, sort of like the Mustang Makeover, yeah, where, yeah. where folks can demonstrate, you know, what you can do with, with them and, and get kind of get the publicity out about them. So it was an invitation-only challenge. Um, I think there's about a dozen of us in the North Island that were going to be part of it. And some of the key differences between that and the Mustang makeover were um, number one, these horses are not kept in captivity for any length of time. Like they're rounded up and shipped straight to your door. Uh, secondly, obviously <laughs> it was a stallion. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a stallion straight, straight from the wild. He was about seven to nine years old and you got a random draw. They just drew one for you. And that was your, your pick. You had the choice of picking one or, or, or having one or having two to work with. And then they had a time frame of a little bit longer, which I appreciated, um, than the Mustang makeover. You had about, I think it was three or four months until the first stage of competition and then another five months to the second stage or the finals. And um, and that was, it was something I'd always wanted to do. I'd, I'd been around Mustangs and I'd helped a guy with the Mustang makeover before and this and that, but. I, I was really keen to sort of take on this this wild stallion and and just see what I could do and and it was it was nothing short of a challenge that's for sure we had um, some interesting circumstances around our property and and some changes with some different stuff going on uh, at that time and I can go into that a bit later but overall the, the the timing of everything added to the overall challenge of just working with the horse but the horse 
the horse himself probably is could I could probably easily say he's he's the most challenging horse I've ever worked with. He uh, he so gelding them was part of the process, and they were to be gelded before the first stage of competition. So we got that taken care of, and I I sort of set it up where I wanted to I wanted to leave his dignity intact. I wanted to give him choices in what I was doing to the point where I didn't even halter him until I could do it out in the pen instead of in the, in the shoot, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just took my time with those things and really tried to help him think it, it through. And he was, he was not, he wasn't a dangerous horse as far as be acting like a stallion. He was, he was just really, really, really wary and, and uncertain about every little thing. And you could show him how it was all right. You could show him how it was going to be okay. You could break it down into the smallest steps you thought possible and you'd start all over the next day. And I, I would spend three or four hours on top of all the outside horses that I was working. I'd spend that time with him, uh, initially about seven days a week. And it was a real challenge because we were in between properties sort of at the time we had had uh, we'd had a couple of three years there where we had some rent leased properties pulled out from underneath of us and we had to work off site and live somewhere else and rent a place here and then this and that. And we just had a, a real battle for a couple of three years around finding a, a place to base ourselves and, and we couldn't afford the real estate in the area. And so it was, it was a huge, huge challenge and a huge, um, learning process in in, 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 and of itself. But at that time I was working with him, he, he was at another location. And so for, for a month or so I was working outside horses at home and then I'd have him and I'd have to go to him. And he was, he was out there being a wild horse for 20, 22 hours a day. And then I'd go out and try to try to spend some <laughs> time with him, with you him. know, and, oh my goodness, it was, it was, challenging and then i had a month back in the states where we we had our work lined up back over there um that i was away for so i was down a month by the time you know i got back and anyway long story short i I got him and i was riding him and got ready for the first stage of competition and there was a there was a uh groundwork freestyle class that we had to do that had some elements that that had to be part of it and then the ridden class was optional. They wanted to give people, you know, didn't didn't want to force people if they That's didn't feel the fair, horses right? were ready to ride. Yeah, you're putting a horse in a human I think in a so. I really, I really do. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that was a good a good thing to do. Um, most people did ride. I was one of the few that that chose not to, even though I was riding my horse. I didn't feel like he was ready for that kind of uh, setting. And reality is, most of the uh, probably half of the horses there shouldn't have really been ridden in that in that class because it didn't do a didn't do him any favors or make him look that good, but um, we we did we did all right there, and and it was just a process. It was just time, and and what one thing he taught me, you know, we talk in horsemanship about you know breaking things down into smaller increments or smaller steps for the horse to understand and accept and think through and be okay with. And of course, I had done that for for years, um, but this horse taught me how to break a lot of things down, just about everything actually, uh, into even smaller steps and even smaller increments. And then how to take those things and break them down into even smaller increments, smaller than I had ever thought possible, smaller than I had ever been made to, to think about. And then to repeat those things 
countless times uh, because he he wouldn't believe you. You know, you could yes. you could it, 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 you were building trusts, but it was so slow and so uh, step by step with him, and and you didn't have to have anything set you back. You didn't have to have you know you didn't have to cross the line or scare him or or have anything bad happen and and you started over again every day you know for yeah, a long long yeah. time and and it was a challenge it was it was it was a challenge because i had to balance everything else that was going on in my life and then the fact that this is a competition you know and the whole nation is is watching this deal you know and you've got uh, you've got some of my competitors who are saying man, this is just the easiest horse I've ever worked with. You know, I was sitting on him by day six. <laughs> <laughs> what I like most about what the, the points that you just described is that um, having to drive yourself to to clarify the language for the horse and breaking down elements deeper and deeper and deeper. And once yeah. getting to those levels of refinement, in communication, right? Staying faithful and true and consistent with them. It's hard. And, and this is no knock to any of these cult starting competitions or, or Mustang wild horse challenges or the off the track thoroughbred stuff. I think sometimes when we add that time crunch to it, there could be, there could be, there's places where the horses are forced, right? And it's not necessarily right, right for the horse. And people Absolutely. are doing it for the sake of competition. And Hey, Life is competition, right? We're always going to comp- be competing on some level. But uh, what I what I think is is most commendable in, in your journey with this this stallion before he was gelded is that you know you never you never wavered for from what was right for the horse, and you sought better ways to improve your skill set for the sake of the horse. So many times, I think horses get discounted because they can't learn a skill. Well, oftentimes they can't learn a skill because we ain't smart enough to figure it out for them. Right. And truly confidently guide them <laughs> through. And that's what horsemanship right. changed for me. I made any number of excuses for the horse early on. Oh, this horse ain't smart enough. This horse is flighty, whatever. Uh, but it wasn't right. until I looked inward and said, hey, you you ain't smart enough to figure this horse out. So you better start learning <laughs> your ways and, and changing some things. That's absolutely right. To help the horse out. That's you know? absolutely I mean, right. I can be extremely honest because I'm talking bad about myself. But um, I think a lot of people drop that ball in working with damaged, injured, retread, young horses, any number of titles you want to give that horse that requires just a little bit of extra effort. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, you know, when you are part of a competition, the, the temptation is always there to yes, shortcut things or to try to make things happen or to try to cram the horse into the preconceived notion of, of what you or, or the people watching are expecting. And, and that's that. That's the challenge. That's the that's the balance. And so I went into the finals a good way behind. I felt like pretty much everybody else. And in some ways, I was just glad to be there. It was like for for me and my journey with that horse. I was just glad to have made it to the finals and be be able to ride there and 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 compete there. You know, at all. And yeah. so. I wasn't really, I didn't really have very high hopes and, and I'm a competitive person, but, but I'm not that competitive when it comes to my horsemanship for those reasons that we were just discussing really is I, I don't, I don't compete on horses. I, I just never have. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so this was a new experience for me. One of those things, again, well outside my comfort zone. And we went in there, you know, well behind number of hours in the saddle compared to anybody else. And we, we, there was three classes. There was an obstacle class, a ridden horsemanship pattern class and the freestyle. And he's, he's never, this horse is never going to be a good obstacle course horse. He, he just hates man-made things. He hates the, uh, unnatural (laughs) things of, of any type. And so we had worked lots with that stuff and we put forth our, our best foot and, and, really did not do very well in that class. <laughs> Understandable though, the um, horse, you know, had seven, eight, nine years of doing things the right way and it kept him alive for that long. So why would it waver? Yeah. Especially in a hundred days yeah. or 150 or 200 days. Yeah. And, and, and so, and then the, we did okay on the horsemanship pattern class. I can't remember where we placed, but it did okay with that. And then we actually got second place in the freestyle and it just blew me away. Natalie had helped me arrange uh, kind of a humorous, fun, kind of freestyle and and um it's it's kind of cool if folks want to watch it it's it's on my youtube and facebook page um in the videos and it it, it, it was just cool because i i was not expecting really anything and and we got second there and, and i think we ended up with like fifth overall you know and so i was pretty pleased uh with with him and and what we'd done there and i carried on with him i kept spending a lot of time with him and and up until just the last year or so, he's been my main horse for traveling all over the country, teaching clinics. Oh, and no uh, we, we work cattle. We do our ranch roping. And, and uh, he's, he's got his basic, you know, lateral movements and, and, and lateral dressage type stuff going on. He's, he's uh, straight up in the bridle. I've got him through the Vaquero bridle horse tradition. And, and he's just a cool little horse. That's awesome to see that relationship continue, right? Because a lot of times those horses are auctioned off or sold off or whatever after the after the competition. But for you to hang tight with them and, and keep them for so long is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So here it was it was uh, sort of our option to keep them. We had paid the adoption fees to mm-hmm. to have them, and and so some of the folks kept them, and some of them you know would go, go do different things with them, and and some of them was passed on. Some of these these wild stallions from that that gather have actually, um, have actually died for, for some unknown reasons, but, um, um, no, I still got mine and, and, um, my wife's been hiding him a little bit the last year or so. And that, and that's cool in and of itself because he was, he's just a little bit quirky. He's just still got that little spark of wild left in him. I didn't, I didn't desensitize the heck out of him there. And, um, and it's pretty cool because I didn't know if anybody would ever be able to ride that horse besides me. <laughs> I think I think that's cool, though, to so, leave a little uh, life in them, though. You know, so many people want these horses so, quote, unquote, dead broke that I think they lose their lust, their fire to learn. You got to, yeah. I don't know, you got to kind of have one that's just a little off, in my opinion. Yeah, well, he still has his, he, he knows, see, that I care about what he thinks and what he's feeling, you know, and, yes. and he's not. He's not dead, you know, mm-hmm. these Kaimanawas, and I think Mustangs can sometimes be the same. They get to where once they've been exposed to, to all this stuff, because they're so used to conserving energy, they can go dead on you. And the Kaimanawas down here, I've seen it so many times where they don't, um, you, you, they don't stay alive about that. And people get them really dull, really, really easily. And I can totally see how this little horse would be that way. Um, where you, if you weren't careful, you could get him pretty dull. And, and I was really careful to not do that. So he still has that little, little edge to him and, and he's, he's quiet, you know, 
90% of the time, 95% of the time, but, but you, you, you ride him, you got to ride him and he's sensitive and he's light, you know, and, yeah. and then he'll see something, he'll see something a little off or something a little man-made or in a new situation. <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta ride him. Stay with him. Yeah. So the horsemanship culture here is an interesting one. And I'd say kind of in general, especially up until the last five years or so, um, sort of running a little bit behind maybe like the States or even Australia in terms of the general equestrian public, their exposure to horsemanship, you know, whether you want to call it natural horsemanship or, Mm -hmm. or just this way of being around a horse that fits a horse. That's how I describe it. Uh, and so you had some, there's a lot of horse people here and there's a very, very wide range of breeds and disciplines. Uh, I've been exposed to and had the privilege of working with many, many more, uh, different breeds and disciplines than I would have. And where I was at in the Rocky mountain region. Uh, and, and so down here you've, it is still predominantly English disciplines. There's, there's a lot of dressage, show jumping, cross country, hunting, those sorts of things. And then a lot of pleasure riders who will ride either English or Western or, or mm-hmm, stock mm-hmm. saddle or whatever. Um, and then, and, and then a pretty decent contingent of, of Western riders and some showing going on there with reining and Western pleasure and some different stuff. Um, so coming in, in the last 10 years here in New Zealand, it's, it's been, there's, there's just a growing interest in that. And, and as everywhere, you know, folks coming from different backgrounds and different disciplines and realizing that what we're talking about is not Western. It's not, not relegated to cowboys or, or anything like that, that we're talking about horses here and we're talking about the language of the horse and the, the principles and concepts we're talking about are applicable to any pursuit or discipline. And that's, that's been really, really neat and really cool. Like I say, to be able to work with, with such a huge range of disciplines and breeds and coming in on that, as, as you know, that the interest in the Vaquero bridle horse and, and the hackamore and, and all those, that, that whole tradition from, from old California and, and, and Spain is something that's uh, gaining traction around the world and, and a lot of interest in that, the ranch roping and, and all of those things. And, and it's something that I have pushed for here and even like at the at the National Horse Expo, just always made it a point to do a demonstration or two on on those sorts of subjects and, and take that to the na- national stage there. Uh, and and it, so it's been neat because we've we've been able to form a couple of bridle horse schools where we help people develop their their hackamore horses and learn a bit more about the stockmanship and the roping and different stuff. And, and uh, just we've just sort of made it a point of ours as like I say, horsemanship is for, is for all horses, all disciplines. And we, and we work with, and we start youngsters of all breeds and we work with people from all, all backgrounds and disciplines. But then we, we've also sort of pushed into this niche of, of this bridle horse because I'm passionate about it. I'm super, super passionate about it. And it, it does, it's, it's sort of what sets us apart too here because there's very, very, very few people that, that are doing it or that know much about it and it's growing, it's growing and there's, and there's more all the time, but it was something where we wanted to go from being really broad in what we did to being quite specific or quite unique in, in what we're doing. And so that's been, that's been a really cool aspect of, of uh, that process. 
I'll tell you the greatest value I see you bringing to the horse world is just that, the versatility and the willingness to work, right? You don't pigeonhole yourself into any specific discipline or breed. You're you're open to learning from everybody. Right. But I'll tell you, sitting right here, right now on California soil, as I record on my end of this episode, it's crazy to comprehend and understand all the rich history, right, of the California, the Vaquero style of horsemanship, and to now know that it's yeah. fostered in New Zealand. It's just, <laughs> it's a it's a trip when you think about it on a greater scale, you know, there's, I mean, there's very, Absolutely. very unique styles in that, uh, that discipline. However, the general concepts of horsemanship, what I just call horsemanship, right, treating the horse right, um, it's the foundation of it all. And it does apply to yeah. everybody everywhere, anytime. It doesn't have to be, well, this is only for rainers or, you know, what the dressage folks don't really use this or jumpers are completely yeah. out of it. You know, everybody, yeah. everybody anywhere can take anything from it. And to hear, to hear your willingness and your drive and your passion to carry those traditions of the California, of the Vaquero down there in New Zealand is just, it's, man, it's cool. It's really, really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. So I would like, we're getting kind of towards the end of the show, and I really kind of, I'd like to bring everything full circle, right? You have such a wide uh, array of experience, both stateside and now in New Zealand. You've worked with so many different breeds and so many different styles of riding. Um, how have you kind of consolidated it now being through the whirlwind of life, right? You get to kind of look up and take a breath. How have you kind of consolidated your philosophy and your approach? And then I want to talk a lot about your clinics and your video library and what you have to offer folks should they want to follow and get deeper into Ben Longwell and true West horsemanship. Sure. I think one thing that comes to mind, you know, and, and horses are, they're all the same but they're all different. In other words, you hear people say, you know, oh, well, he's an Arabian. So, you know, that's why he does that. Or she's a chestnut mare, you know, you better watch out for her. Yeah. Or uh, all these things, all these stereotypes or boxes, or I guess for me, I, I approach a horse first as a horse and I don't assume anything. I don't assume that he's going to be a certain way or that because he's an Appaloosa or because, you know, it's a dominant mare or anything. I, 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 I just always catch myself thinking when, when I hear people telling me a bit about their horse, you know, they'll say these things, they say, you know, that, that he's this way because of this, or he's, he's, he's going to be that way because of that. And, and for me, I let the horse tell me what he, what he is. I try to let the horse show me what he understands and what he doesn't. And as you know, the way they're behaving, what they're doing and the things that they're maybe responding or not responding to and what we're trying to communicate all have to do with their understanding. And they, they do either what they think they're supposed to or think that they have to. That's the only things that's going on in their mind is uh is they're either confused and they're, and they're just trying to do what they think they're supposed to or what they know they have to to survive that's literally the only options and so um that's kind of my philosophy on things in a nutshell you know i approach each horse as an individual i try to find out what they're thinking and what they know about whatever whatever it is we're talking about and i kind of go from there and and of course as you know that can mean 
101 or 1001 different different approaches or different things from that point as far as what you might do or, or what you might not do. And uh, I say it a lot of times like this, you know, folks get stuck on on what it is that they are supposed to do and, and this technique or that technique. And, and uh, a lot of times they learn stuff to do even to the point where, where sometimes natural horsemanship is almost referred to as another discipline or a, a, another yeah. event or something, You're you correct. know, it's, it's a, kind of a scary thing when, when I, I hear people say, oh yeah, my horse does natural horsemanship. It's like, no, 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 wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> that is not just something that we do, you know, and, yes. and, we've missed the point completely. If we get hung up on techniques, we've missed the point completely. If we get hung up on just the, what we are doing, if we don't understand why, if we don't understand how, and if we don't understand when, and those are really questions that I really try to bring home to people in, in, uh, working with them and their horses and trying to address what they're doing or, or what they're wanting to do doesn't matter what discipline or what pursuit they have or what issues or problems they might be having. Um, we do need to know some techniques for sure, but we need to know why and we need to know when those would fit the situation and, and then how to best do those because even the how of the way you do those techniques might vary horse to horse, you know? So, I mean, I could go on and on. There's, there's, as you know, many, many different concepts and absolutely and processes there, but I just try to learn all I can from each horse and from each person each situation teaches me a little bit better how to communicate both to the horse and the human. Yeah. Yeah. So in closing, how do folks, how do folks reach out to you? Uh, let's go through social media and websites. And then, uh, obviously you have the video library available through your website. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we are, um, we do have our website, truewesthorsemanship.com. Uh, Natalie's, a uh, our graphic and web designer. She was trained, trained uh, in that in university and had her own business doing that. So it's really cool to be able to have her do that for us. And um, she, uh, she's got that all up there on our blogs up there with a lot of good information and, and content. We are on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, and we've got some really good content up there. We really try to stay consistent with that. Um, and Probably the best way to stay in touch, like if people want to know uh, about our schedules or even really see all the content that we're putting out is our email newsletter. And you can sign up for that on Facebook or or um, through our, our website. And and that way, because of the algorithms changing with with um, some of the social media platforms, they can they can actually see see if they're on the newsletter. They can actually see that, that a lot of that content. But our online video library is, is like I said, something that we've had a, a dream or a vision for for a lot of years. And um, we work, we're working towards for a number of years and getting the right equipment and learning how to do stuff. And so for about two years now, we've had that available for students and, um, and, and really students and writers around the world. Um, and we've been developing that and continue to film and, and put out new content on that. We've got I think right around 35 hours up there now on a quite a wide range of subjects, uh, everything from cult starting and groundwork to your ridden basics and understanding the, the aids of seat, leg and hands and, and all the way up to specific cowboy skills like uh, introducing roping to your horse or hobbling or various things like that. And then a lot of problem solving stuff and, and understanding response in spite of trouble and those sorts of concepts and, and uh, things to help really address any kind of 
horse and rider and, and the common situations that we all face at different times. So it's a, it's a subscription-based uh, program and very, very easy to check out. It starts out with a seven-day free trial. It's all there on our website, really, really easy to, to run with. So, Ben, I'll tell you what, I cannot thank you enough. And as we wrap every episode, I like to ask the final question kind of surrounding freedom. And I'll frame it as such. In your journey, whether it be personally or professionally, you know, what is something, what is a piece of advice that you would share with the next man who might just be a few miles behind you in the, in the trail of life, given your experience? That's a good question. And I knew you were going to ask me that. Comes, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been thinking about that and there's, there's so much there, you know, yeah. it, that's a, that's a, that's a big question. Um, for me personally, I feel like, um, you know, I, I'm in the people business and, the horses are that common ground. The horses are something I'm hugely passionate about and the people that I work with are passionate about. So, so we meet there on that common ground and, and the horse provides that, that platform, if you will, of really working on ourselves. In other words, the communication, the understanding, the body language, uh, the patience, all of those things are in us and are, and we're working on to develop in us to improve for our horses. But the reality is, is if we're improving ourselves, it, it's not just for our horses. It's for any relationship that we have. It's, it's for our spouses. It's for our kids. It's for our parents. It's for our friends. It's, it's for God. You know, it's, it's people are, it, people are eternal. I don't know if horses are or not, but yeah. You know, if, if I can make a difference in people's lives and, and help them along their journey here, not just with their horse, which is, which is awesome. You know, I love doing that and I love seeing the light bulbs come on for folks and, and setting them up for a little better success with their horse, no matter what they're doing. I, I love that. But if I can, if I can broaden that out and help them realize that this is life, you know, this is, this is about life and, and it, even eternity, you know, then that's, that's really what I've. I've come to grips with is, or am coming to grips with is that, that we're in the people business here. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Ben, uh, I have the utmost respect for, for your journey. Uh, you and Natalie have done some incredible things for the horsemanship world and the community. I'm excited to see all that true West horsemanship has to offer. Um, I mean, you guys are just now starting to hit your stride and really, 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 uh, making a huge difference for a lot of folks. Uh, not just in New Zealand, right? But you talk about your your programs accessible throughout the world. So I encourage everybody to visit True West Horsemanship. Uh, ben, I cannot thank you enough for setting some time aside and sharing with us here today. And if there's anything that we can do in the future to support you through Let Freedom Reign podcast, man, do not hesitate to reach out. I really, really appreciate that, Jason. I, I uh, like I say, it's a huge, huge honor to to visit with you and. Uh, Likewise, likewise, just uh, be in touch anytime if there's anything I can do for you. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you down the road. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. And Reign is spelled R-E-I-N. 
There you can provide a donation at a cost less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.